All right. Hey, listen, we'll go ahead. I think uh, John is, they're still trying to lasso him down. Um, do you enjoy the sessions? Enjoy that? Good. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm going to get out of the way, and uh, we've got some guys running around with mics and everything like that. If you have a question, again, I, what I would encourage you, uh, some of this is very complex. I understand trying to frame out a question. I get that. But let's try to keep it short so we can get as many questions in, in the period of time that we have, okay? All right. Any questions? You know, I found this very interesting. I like, I enjoyed it. Um, I understand now that you know, God created the earth in six days. And I just had just thought of um, if Adam and Eve were living in the garden, how long did they live in, in the garden before they were ousted? You want to take that one, right? The biblical text doesn't tell us. There, there's a, an abundance of chronological data throughout the book of Genesis, but that's one that is omitted. So... Uh, it had to have been before the birth of the first son, but other than that, we don't have a time frame. And you have a dating for the first son, so somewhere in that time frame. And the impression we get, it's relatively short. Doesn't take us long to do wrong things, does it? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi, um, I just have a question about, you said that the assumptions for the dating methods are, are wrong. What are some of those assumptions that they use? Okay, the, the assumptions in the radiometric dating method. One is we know for sure the starting conditions, uh, meaning there was no daughter element in there to begin with. We have shown that false repeatedly. Uh, another one would be that this has always been in a closed system. Nothing has affected it. Well, we can show that's false because water will leach through rocks, adding and subtracting elements all the time. And third, the decay rate has always been constant. We now have pretty good evidence, not proof, but good evidence that in the past, the decay rate was much, much faster than it is today. Those are just three of the assumptions. The fourth one is uh, we have no assurance that there were not any uh, isotopes introduced over the life of the uh, product that is being under investigation. See, I have a little different point of view on that. Being a, an old earth creationist, I think that the radiological dating methods are really pretty good. There are some problems with them, but the people who are expert know very well what the problems are, and either to disregard the data or to accommodate the the problems in some in some fashion. Uh, so yeah, uh, and about the uh, idea that uh, ra radioactivity increased during the flood, well, I guess God could do that if He wanted. I, I kind of doubt that He did that. Uh, and I did a calculation one time, and uh, it turned out that if the radiation environment on Earth was uh, as uh, you know, the accelerated uh, radio, radiological decay people believe it was, the flood wasn't necessary. The radiation alone would have killed every living thing on Earth. So now you have an old Earth perspective. Well, with dealing with experts, I showed quite a few good experts in there, nuclear physicists, who would say just the opposite to that. And the people who have done the um, calculations would come up with a different evidence there. And we also, as Reyes said the other day, 
uh, heard him say, during the flood, a lot of things changed. Radically. A lot, radically. And also, a belief in an old earth would have to accept a local flood because we have to ask, where did the fossils come from? So there are some differences, and it's okay to have some differences. But as I was talking about, we're talking about the effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. My nuclear physicist can beat up your nuclear physicist. <laughs> Mine can do more push-ups. <laughs> we, have another, we have another question over here. Uh, Mike, uh, this is a question I was going to ask you later. Uh, it's an age of the earth question. It's been driving me nuts for years. In the southwest, we have uh, geologic features called entrenched meanders. And I'm thinking specifically of the goosenecks of the San Juan. So a meandering stream forms in a low energy environment. Yet, in the case of the goosenecks of the San Juan, that meander is at a depth of perhaps 300 feet. How are you going to form that entrenched meander in a young earth scenario? It's a good question. I don't have an answer to it. But I will say that there are still overwhelming geologic evidences of a young Earth. So there are things we can't explain. There may be a geologist that could explain it. I don't have the background to explain that one. So I really can't do that one. Hi, I'm uh, <coughs> uh, Vice President of the Creation Science Fellowship of New Mexico. And uh, we have found it to be... Uh, quite a challenge to uh, bring out members of our own congregations, let alone those of other congregations, to uh, consider these matters. And uh, I myself have noted that among uh, American Christians, um, it seems to be rather rare for uh, um Christians to have, uh, after some years of uh, supposedly being Christians, to have actually read the Bible through. Um, <clears throat> I feel as though uh, American Christians especially are uh, rather lackadaisical in our uh, faith. I'm wondering, what do you see in... Uh, the near future uh, for any developments along that line. Do you see any hope? Yes. <laughs> um, one, people's lives have been made very busy. I remember at the start of the computer age, how we were going to have all this free time. They forgot about something called competition within business. We ended up going to work a lot longer hours. So we're being torn in all different directions to pay the bills. And we got families. Sports has taken over, even on Sunday now. Sunday is no longer the day for the Lord. It's the day for sports, professional sports. <coughs> so a lot of things have changed radically. But there can be things that can be done, and that's what we're trying to do. We need to make it aware to parents, because most Christians are really unaware this is even an issue, because that's all they've been trained, or they haven't been trained at all. There's, say, laziness in our Christianity. Apathy is a thing that's been killing churches. But there can be something that can be done, but we got to get it started. We have to do it ourselves. I did this last talk. 
Our Christian universities are letting us down. They're being academic, but they don't know there's a war going on. If you don't know there's a war going on, you're doomed to lose. So we really don't have the training grounds. So my solution to that was, don't complain. Let's just do it ourselves. We will start the training. We'll do it ourselves. And that's one of the things we're here for today. And we're hoping to expand this even larger, maybe get some Christian leader conferences going, where we get the youth pastors and Christian school teachers and, and principals in, and they can start training the next generation. That's where we're going to have to aim. My generation, I'll say, has failed. My generation failed. We forgot to teach. Doesn't mean we have to continue to fail. We can turn it around. But we have to get enough teachers out there trained who can start teaching. In other words, it's called discipleship. With the small amount that we have, just sitting here, and we got Institute for Creation Research, Answers in Genesis, CRF, and Creation Ministries International, that's not near enough. We've got to go beyond the one-hour lectures. We've got to do the serious training now so people can learn how to do this. I have a lot of people come to me and say, Mike, how can I do this? We're not going to get it by just going to one-hour lectures. You're going to have to do a lot of study. But we can speed that study up by offering training classes where people can come and get started on it. That's how I think we'll make a difference, replicating ourselves, getting teachers in the churches who will teach it. Eventually, if we can covertly or somehow get in our Christian universities and get them trained to teach this, then we can start making a difference. Because very few Christian universities even do anything that's useful on apologetics. The apologetics they have are generally very philosophical, and after a while the students stop coming because that's not what they came for, to learn about philosophy and, and all the buzzwords. We need to start with things like basic biblical apologetics, critical thinking skills, and then get to presuppositional apologetics, a little science apologetics, before we get to all the philosophical terminology. See, we do it backwards. Cincinnati Christian University had an apologetics course. They dropped it. Why? No one was coming. I said, I can tell you why nobody came. And they said, you know, you're right, Mike. We had a philosophy professor and they're teaching it. Wrong person. Never get a straight answer. I'm not saying all philosophers are like that. <laughs> but we need to teach biblical apologetics first. Critical thinking skills. Science. You don't have to be a scientist. You still, we didn't do any rocket science here. And then get to the presuppositional, the philosophy. That's the order it needs to be done. Quit scaring our students off. Teach them first. The Bible has answers and we can trust it. That would be my solution right there. And you gentlemen may have more to add to that. Boy, I'll tell you what. I just want to second that uh, so enthusiastically. Mike has got it right on the, right on the head. That's what we, exactly what we have to do. At risk of sounding um, kind of ignorant, um, can you dis- can you explain apologetics a little better um, so I can understand what? Hopefully, I'm not the only one here that needs a better understanding. First of all, there's one question you cannot ask. You may not ask. I have a dumb question. Know why? Because there are dumb questions. But how do you think we feel if we can't answer it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the faith that you have. Um, That uh, reason is the word apology, it's apologetic. So apologetic is anything that has to do with defending your faith, supporting your faith. And there are lots of different areas. Science is one, philosophy is one, 
personal testimonies can certainly be apologetic in value. There's a, just a whole range of uh, different areas of philosophy. It usually has to do with some kind of reason and logic and evidence. Um, so it's, it's really a pretty broad area. Um, let's see. We have a thing called Science and Faith Seminars that we do at the Museum of Natural History. Uh, and if you come to those, you will get some of the areas of apologetics. Uh, there are other areas like um, uh, the mind and how it works and all that that we don't really cover very well, but I think we need to have a, a sort of an area uh, open up in, uh, you know, in psychology and the mind that uh, has apologetic value. Excellent. Uh, also, Paul used apologetics throughout Scripture, especially in the book of Acts. It says Paul reasoned with them for three Sabbaths. He reasons with the Greek and the Jews. In other words, he had a verbal defense for what he believed. Then Jesus used apologetics all the way through. He used many different forms, even in the form of parables, giving sound reasons for why to believe. So that's what it basically means, being able to defend what you believe. Thank you for that. Next question, sir. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, it's not so much a question as it is a, just an add-on to the uh, answer you gentlemen gave um, to the previous question, which is, and I agree with everything you said, it's, it's a great plan. Uh, we really are at war, and until we recognize it, um, I think, uh, Mike, you said we're, we're committed to fail, and, and we are, until we recognize it and engage. But there's something we can do today, and it's the precursor to all of that, and I think we're all indebted to really seriously think about this, is to routinely get on our knees and pray for guidance for the leaders to be raised up, for the boldness uh, to teach the truth. And without that, the best plan is not going to work, I don't believe. So, thank you. Greg, behind you. <coughs> Greg, back, the, back to the And then I'll get over there. Thank you for that. Uh, that was excellent. Uh, the Bible does say over and over again, pray always. That's our secret weapon. doesn't run out of fuel. Yeah. You know, I believe in what the Bible says, and uh, what I have problems with is with people that think that uh, um, the earth is uh, billions of years old, and uh, to me that goes contrary to what the Bible teaches. How would you address that to somebody who's uh, of old age uh, uh, as far as the earth is concerned? Uh, yes, uh, I'm one of the old earth guys here, uh, so I'll address that. Yes, I also believe what the Bible says. It's the authoritative word of God. Um, but I think that uh, there are different ways you can interpret in some cases, not in others, what it says. And uh, so I think um, if you equate uh, being old earth with not... Uh, not believing in the authority of Scripture, you were very much mistaken. Yeah, actually, uh, the majority of the church, and I'm not talking about liberal, liberal church, because the liberal church basically has abandoned Scripture. The majority of the evangelical, Bible-believing, inspiration, inerrancy-believing viewpoint is old earth. The young earth, uh, young earth perspective is a relatively minority viewpoint. But the advantage of it is people like Russ Humphreys, who's a first-rate, world-class physicist, 
says that 90% of the scientific evidence supports a relatively young Earth. I would add to that that um, we had in the first session today, my first session, that uh, if there's many ways to interpret Genesis 1, then when do we stop? There's a thing called hermeneutics, the study of written language, how to interpret text. God gave us his word so we can understand it. We do pray sometimes. But he gave us a lot of evidence. We went through some of that. Uh, if the earth is old, then where did death and decay come from? Because that's the fossil record. We have to ask those kind of questions. Uh, was it really a worldwide flood? It does matter because if there's a worldwide flood, it's responsible for most of all the fossils. If not, where did they come from? Well, the only answer is over long periods of time, death and decay, which results generally before sin. In hermeneutics, again, we look at the context of a word, and that's how we derive it. We don't derive it from opinions, but we look for the explicit, which rules over the implication or implied. That's part of hermeneutics. So we, we went over the day with the number, evening and morning. Never in the Old Testament means a long period of time. So the context will warrant what we really mean there. Not any outside interpretation and not scientific evidence, because if we go to scientific evidence, I'm not saying that's what he does over here because it believes in the authority of Scripture too. But if we go to scientific evidence to understand God's word, then the scientific evidence is our authority over God's word. We don't need to do that. We shouldn't do that as Christians. We look at the context where his word is used. We also went to the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 11, fourth commandment. God wrote down six days. If Genesis is not literal days, then that commandment doesn't mean what it literally says. And what about the other nine commandments then? How do we interpret the commandments then? It's only a suggestion, or it's open to our interpretations. So we have a lot of things to consider. What has to change if we add millions of years in the Bible? Well, we have a different foundation for the gospel. We have to look at things like that. So there's not many, I, don't, I would disagree, there's many ways to interpret Genesis. I say there's only one way, and that's according to proper hermeneutics, the context of the words and how he gave it to us. That's what I would go to. Sounds like he uh, taught the uh, two breakout sessions that I did. <laughs> but I dealt with a lot of those issues uh, similar to that. So go to the website and you can listen to that one, those of you that didn't hear it. Yeah, uh, Ray and I have been having debates. Uh, he takes the young earth point of view. I take the old earth point of view. Uh, I think we've done that, what, about five or six times so far? Uh, no one's been killed. Uh, we've never started any fistfights. As a matter of fact, it's really been uh, uh, very unifying, I think. We're going to do it again uh, in April at the Museum of Natural History, the second Friday in April at 7 o'clock. If you all would really like to hear both sides of this question presented by two people who I, I, I think do a pretty good job of defending their point of view, come see it. We have two, two questions over here. wanted to compliment you. I'm on the same page. It's exciting to see the fire and the uh, conviction is so strong in all of you. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. That's all I wanted to say. Because the Holy Spirit gets the first priority. That's right. Yes, because part of my testimony I didn't give was I'm an introvert and failed speech. <laughs> and I don't know English. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to butcher this or I didn't understand, but about five years ago, I went to one of the Creation Fellowship uh, meetings, and there was a physicist or a cos 
cosmology. Oh, I read. Anyway, he was talking about what you were talking about, a young earth and an old earth. And he spoke about um, a rubber band effect in the heavens and where it could seem like a billion years, but then it comes and it uh, contracts back to a shorter period. And so, I mean, that, that feels, I see that maybe that's an in-between between both of you guys. And if you, anyone can explain that. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> It, yeah. might, it might have been Russ Humphreys. Is that, is that a name? He's got a book out that uh, answers one of the most difficult scientific problems that the young Earth position has, the issue of starlight and time. In fact, that's the name of his book, Starlight and Time, where he does use uh, theory of relativity and a lot of physics to show that Time is different depending on where you measure it and that sort of thing. And if you would measure time, the distant ends of the universe, you would get up different numbers than what you get on planet Earth. And he goes into a, a good explanation to give a, a good reason why the Earth is relatively young and answers that whole issue. So I'd recommend that book. It's, it's easy to read as well. It's, it's written very, very well for a general audience. Um, in other words, that old formula you had, distance equal rate times time in math, it's not true at the subatomic level. The variable is time. Gravity affects time. Yeah, I know a lot of people would like to try and explain the difference by relativistic effects. Uh, I've studied the relativistic effects, and that is not a good explanation. And if you'd like for me to try and explain that a little bit more, see me after the thing here. I don't think I can do it right now. Another question in the back. I've been to Mount St. Helens after the eruption, and I thought it was interesting that they found there a set of car keys that on one part of it, it had, a, it had turned into a piece of coal. So it was current because it was somebody's car keys. And I don't know why the rest of it was became coal. But does that, can you use that in any way? To well, we know we can make coal rapidly. Coal doesn't require long ages. It's the process that's critical. Getting the right ingredients and the process are very critical. We can make coal in laboratories rather rapidly. It's like we can make oil in, in, a, in a minute in, in laboratories, 30 minutes. We can make oil. It's not going to solve any crisis because it takes a lot of energy to do that. But fossilization is not necessarily long ages either. It can take long, long periods of time, but it can happen very rapidly. In fact, it must happen rapidly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next question in the middle of the back, and then we'll come up front after that. I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyways. Um, is there any point at which the, whether you're old creationists or young creationists, unify against the non-creationists, and how do you go about that? Oh boy, that is exactly what we need to do because that is where the will war is. We go to the central component of what we're all teaching. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Right. That's the focus of what creation ministry is really about, the gospel, the right. full gospel. Apologetics doesn't lead anyone to Christ. 
apologetics, and what we're dealing with here is primarily scientific apologetics, opens doors, answers questions, prepares the heart to receive the seed of the gospel so the seed of the gospel can grow and bring people to Christ. It's the gospel message that is the power unto salvation. Yeah. Apologetics is not about winning arguments. The main reason for apologetics is evangelism. Break down strongholds, anything that keeps somebody from professing Jesus Christ. That's the reason we do it. There's another question up front here. Uh, yes, in, in talking about the um, old world and the new world, I look out among us and I see a lot of gray hairs and I see a lot of no hair. And uh, my question is, how do we get the next generation filling this room instead of a bunch of old guys and women? Well, you, you've brought up a pretty critical issue there. Uh, one, this church has a good youth leader. I've talked with him, and I'd like to be able to use him on a number of occasions here. <laughs> Secondly, we need more youth leaders like this. I've been to churches doing creation seminars, and the youth leader is there with his students, and they will not come because the youth leader doesn't think it's important. They've been trained not to believe this in a lot of cases, and it's not even an issue to them. So we have a breakdown there. And most parents don't know what to do with this and don't see it as an issue. So it's a matter of getting the parents trained, the youth pastors trained, to see that this is really an issue. And it's where we're losing a lot of our youth today because of this. The two biggest issues right there are moral relativism and the issue of origins. are main factors why about 70% are walking away from the church. So it's going to take time. You can't force them to come. So we need to get the people trained to say, this is important. And it happens, uh, they don't see, the kids, the youth don't see it as, and the young adults, that's problem for what they really are. They're not kids, they're not Billy Goats, and let's not call them teens, they're young adults. That way they don't have an excuse for doing what they're doing. But we need to make sure they understand. They're, they're just not taught it's important from young ages. And it starts in where? The home. That's the real start, is in the home. When the parent sees it as an important issue, the children will. And it's got, it's got to come from you because there's not just youth pastors, but a lot of pastors are afraid of this issue. It's controversial. So most pastors don't want to create waves. They don't want to cause controversy, particularly the, the age of the earth or the age of the universe, really. That issue is a hot topic, and it's difficult for pastors. So it's got to come from you to kind of uh, encourage your pastors along these lines. Encourage one another. The whole homeschool movement is as a result of the public schools not doing the job that most Christian parents expect. And parents are the bottom line, basically. Biblically, you are responsible for the education of your children. So it starts with, with you all and things that you need to do. If we don't solve that problem, our kids are going to be in trouble, eternal trouble. An important thing I want to bring up is the lack of good literature available in bookstores, uh, churches, or widely available. There's a gap here 
where there's a vast literature on young earth creationism available, but nobody knows how to get at it. And, I, and it was one of my points in my little session was to try to say, you should be reading books. Take, here's some examples. Uh, and, and I think books are key in, in this education process. Something to read that is authoritative, that explains the whole thing thoroughly. And, and there are plenty of books that do that. Do you know where they are? That's the question. Let me, let me talk the word free here for just a moment. Now I've got your attention. There are materials you can get that will keep you up to date. Institute for Creation Research has something called Acts and Facts. comes out every month. It's excellent. You can get a hard copy for free, or you can get it online for free. There's a copy right there. Thank you. Uh, Creation Ministries International comes out with some free information you can get monthly. Answers in Genesis has a creation magazine. It costs you a little money, but it's full of good articles and keeps you updated. It comes out quarterly. So those are some places you can instantly get materials. I highly recommend subscribing to Answers in Genesis magazine and subscribe to ICR's uh, Acts and Facts. It's free. So that'll keep you up to date, and they're full of good articles. Question in the middle of the back. A little more of a statement than a question. Um, I use the apologetics real quick that I, I like to use a lot. <laughs> um, uh, Job, um, he, the Lord talks about uh, the behemoth, the Leviathan, as in creatures that, that are current with human existence. Uh, I believe in a young earth, and I also believe in using the Bible quite literally. Um, that you know, God uses God. God uses a lot of numbers. He's very specific in numbers um, and uh, and periods and stuff. You know, you, you got. He likes to use the number seven a lot. Um, he created the earth in six days, rested on the seventh. Um, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Um, we have gone through almost six thousand years or six days, I believe we are nearing the end of that sixth day, or 6,000 years, and about to enter the Sabbath day, or the seventh of the thousand years, and which would be the thousand year millennial reign um, without Satan as a day of rest, that will be the earth's day of rest for, for the seventh of this 7,000 years. So I believe um, using that for, as, a, as an idea of a young earth, um, we are looking at a young earth of 6,000 years going into the 7,000 year of the week. This is, we're about to enter the seventh day of the week for 7,000 years. That's, that's part of what I like to use a lot of times. I believe there is a young earth. That's an interesting perspective. But be very careful with Second um, Peter 3.8. Yeah. Days and thousand years, thousand years, day of the Lord. One, it's only talking about the end times, not the beginning. We did this in our, one of our sessions. Secondly, it has a key word in there. And I like what you do there, but we have to be careful. Because Second Peter 3 8 is a simile or a figure of speech. The word as there means it's not meant to be taken literally. 
But it's talking about the attributes of God, that God created time. He's not bound by time. That's what it's really referring to. So I'd be very careful applying what it says there to some other things. But you're right about the, the six days of creation, I believe. Yeah, this, this uh, question is directed to Dr. Garth. I'm over here. All John. right. So this, excuse me. Okay, there you are. Uh, so you, uh, I know, have an outstanding library, and you mentioned your books on creation science. What, uh, there are a lot of people here who are trying to deepen their understanding. Maybe even this is kind of a new study. What would be two or three books you would recommend as you know, your outstanding three or whatever to start your, your work on it. If you're reading at home, kind of educating yourself, Dr. Garth. In my slides, I listed three, so it's the right number you asked for. Um, the first one is called, uh, it's about Achilles' heel. Um, uh, forget the, the full title. Uh, Evolution's Achilles Heel. That was the name of it. This is a recent uh, book and DVD that came out of CMI, Creation Ministries International. It is, it's an hour and a half but with seven experts or so on all different topics ending up with the gospel. And, and you just can't go wrong with that as a, as a recommendation. The second one I like very much is by a man named Roger Gallup, G-A-L-L-O-P, and it's, it's called The Greatest Deception in, in History, or Modern History, I forget the title exactly. Uh, I've, it has a lot of good chapters on geology inserted with very good arguments uh, on um, thermodynamics and whatever you, oh, the whole topic of creation science. The third one is a man uh, at Liberty University, name of David DeWitt, uh, called "Unraveling the uh, Creation Controversy" or something to that effect. So, those are, I, did somebody have the re the right title there? Origins, Origin, whatever. But anyway, um, origins controversy. So, if you can remember what I've just said. Those three books would be a good place to, to start. I think they're, I found them most useful in my preparation of my talk. We have time for one more question over here, Gregory. Okay, so you guys were talking about reaching a younger generation. Uh, most of us, most of us, look at you guys. I, I recognize the engineer. I'm going to sit down with a book and all that, but most of my kids that I see are sitting there with cell phones in their hands, and they're looking at 30-second soundbite kinds of pieces of information. It's so like the Truth Project, you know. It's it's a it's anti-smoking, but it's a secular version of a modern parable. Uh, and I'm sitting going, is there anything in in this creation world that speaks to that generation that that gives bite-sized bits of truth? Uh, yes, Carl Kirby has come out with some very short, like two-minute, fast-action uh, little videos. They're made for teens. He is excellent with teens. Carl Kirby used to work for Answers in Genesis. If you email me, I'll give you his contact information. He's, he's one of the best I've seen with teens. He can just grab a teen audience in and, and never lose them. But he's got those small little two-minute videos, sometimes three minutes. They're just such fast actions just for that reason. There are also a lot of uh, books and DVDs that are designed for that particular audience 
at all, virtually all the, the websites that Mike mentioned. So there are resources that are designed for all the way from very young to, uh, what do you call them, young adults? Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, you might check out Discovery Institute. It has a lot of information on uh, you know, problems with evolution and also design in the universe. And uh, I think they also have some material for teenagers. Discovery Institute, I think it's D-I-S-C-O-V-E-R-Y dot org. Uh, you know, I, I was sitting here listening to this, and I think um, it's interesting. Hebrews 11.3, right? Mm-hmm. When, we, when we think about all this stuff, he says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And I, I hope this, this whole time is really to help build our faith. Uh, listening to just how many... Uh, mechanisms are taking place within one cell. Uh, it's mind-boggling to think of God's creation, his design, the way he's ordered this, hearing the history of it uh, from Joe and just where we've come and, and unfortunately where we are in terms of how we view science and, and how this uh, uh, separation of intelligent thought uh, being put into science and how Christianity is a part of that, all the kind of different things, phenomenal, right? Um, the other thing that hit me is we, we can have different views, and, and it's interesting within the church, right, as a pastor. Um, there are certain doctrines, I think, that we would recognize uh, ought to divide us. Ought to divide us. If somebody comes in here preaching a different gospel, Paul said, let them be an anathema. That ought to divide us. Because there's one gospel. Amen? Amen? There are certain levels of doctrine where we go, yes, that, you know, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, brother, friend, we love you in the love of Christ, uh, but we're not going to necessarily have the same kind of relationship here. There are certain things that we recognize are fundamental to the faith, and we've got to be very careful to guard those things, right? Uh, there are certain things we better make sure don't divide us. Don't divide us. And I think in our world today, uh, we're seeing persecution take place where we're going to be pushed together more and more and more whether we like it or not. And I think there's two things out of that. One, we're called to preserve the unity that we have. And the other is that we are to love one another. And it is by our love that we will be known. And so I appreciate the love that these guys have shown towards one another, even in perhaps uh, disagreement on certain things. And I think that's essential for the church body to see, to recognize you can have disagreements about it, but you can still love one another. Amen? And I think we ought to give them a round of applause for that, and we thank you for them coming. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for these men, and I thank you, uh, Lord, for who you are. I thank you for what you've done for us. And, and Lord, it's just in humility that we come to you, recognizing uh, that we have had the tremendous privilege uh, of knowing you because you've made yourself known. And so, Father, I pray that you take all this information, take all these things, and Lord, work in our hearts in a way that we are yielded to you in every area of our lives, uh, useful to you in whatever you choose to do in and through us. And Father, may your hope and your glory, uh, may the defense of the gospel uh, be accomplished in and through our lives. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I pray uh, a blessing on each and every person here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.
Amen. All right, good. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Christ.